Hey, we're excited you're here. We're in our third week of talks in this A Meal with Jesus series. And uh, uh, I'm very excited because we're going kind of in progression through a bunch of the meals that Jesus was a part of. He literally grew the church one meal at a time. And that sounds exciting to me. As maybe you can tell by looking at me, I like food, right? Well, Jesus would serve up food. He would uh, serve up like incredible feasts. And today we'll look at like a, a banquet, a, a huge miracle. And through a series of applications from these, I think that we can find the challenge ourselves about how we can use meals to touch the lives of our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, those that are in our world. We can make an impact. And yes, we'll share some of our strategies and vision and stuff at like a 101 or 201, but in the midst of this series, I think we can see a great plan that God has given us to build relationship with other people in our community and the difference it can make in others' lives. Uh, and, and we can enjoy food all at the same time. Today we're going to look at an interesting angle. Today's a little different, in fact. You might notice that your uh, fill-ins have no fill-ins. And whether you're following along digitally or you have the handout, really today is one of those Sunday school on steroids days where to really get, which is even why we did a part one to this hope in a meal talk. Um, it's a two-part talk because you really have to grasp some history and some things that God's showing us that make this moment of the feeding of 5,000 even cooler if we can grasp like the broad spectrum of what God has done to lead up to this moment. So we're going to look at a lot of learning. We're going to ask some questions and answer them, which will bring each of you into a place of needing to make, uh, really give whatever answer is fitting for yourself in application of today's text. So here's the pre-meal passage that is going to occur today. Luke 9, 7 says, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. Who do people say Jesus is, is what's ultimately being asked here. From the perspective of the person, the ruler of the land in the day. That is what is being asked. Now, Herod Antipas, this guy had just had a huge party himself. A huge bash with meal and food and drink. And in fact... They drank a little much, he got a little happy, and decided to offer one of the dancers anything that they wanted. Now, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had been sharing for quite a long time that people should repent of their sin and come to God. He knew that he was preparing the way for the Messiah, or the one chosen by God, right? And so he had been proclaiming this message to people. And uh, in fact, he had baptized his cousin Jesus 
already in water and they grabbed him took him to this party and this gal that was dancing Herod said you could have anything you want she said give me John the Baptist head wow that's not your normal party favor I don't know if you've been to a birthday recently when you went home mom dad look what they gave us this is John you know no that's just gross to think of but that's ultimately the reward of this dance this is like uh, uh, the ultimate prize the golden buzzer in America's Got Talent this is what they did they gave her John the Baptist head so now there was no more repent of your sin there was no more of this 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 person could just do what they wanted to do they thought right so when Herod says it could not be John the Baptist because they're claiming hey this is John the Baptist he rose from the dead you killed him but he rose right up and he's doing these signs and wonders because John the Baptist was a powerful communicator and everybody thought well this could be John the Baptist Herod's like no 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 I just cut his head off these guys are only a few months apart there's no way that this is John the Baptist and so uh, he knew at least that but then he asks the question is this Elijah where does this come from right Elijah was a powerful prophet and and he at the end of his life was not he's not he did not pass away he did not die if you read the story in the Old Testament Elijah was caught up with a chariot taken into heaven so there was a long-standing like hundreds of years generations had been passing down the story that one day Elijah will return he will come back because he never died he'll return in the chariot and he'll perform the same signs and he did great wonders and signs and you know that that people were in awe of in his day and so possibly Jesus is the returned Elijah that one's not disqualified here right the other one that's not disqualified is other prophets well maybe Jesus is just another prophet that's come back maybe Moses Moses said that other prophets like him would come and so maybe these guys said this is the this is the one Moses promised or Moses himself has returned what you know so Jesus is doing these signs that seem similar that all the signs and wonders God was doing through these amazing prophets and so we see Herod processing this we see the rulers of the land noticing man something is in this Jesus but who is he like where did he come from and so Herod it says at the very conclusion of that intro text Herod kept trying to see him isn't that interesting like we read stories like during Easter we read Zacchaeus story and he somehow knew where Jesus was going to be climbed up a tree and had an encounter with Jesus but Herod something Jesus was like eluding Herod probably good probably keep his head on his shoulders but you know he's like Herod kept trying to see him but Jesus kept slipping away which is probably a good thing for him to actually make it to the cross so we continue in verse 10 when the Apostles returned they told Jesus everything they had done and then he slipped quietly away with them see forward or uh, toward the town of Bethsaida 
But the crowds found out where he was going. They followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to to go buy enough food for this whole crowd? There were about 5,000 men there. Like, that's a lot of people when you count women and children. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. This is, OC, this is all you could eat buffet, OCB, right? They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So how did Jesus reveal himself? He reveals himself by feeding the people through a meal, a banquet, a party, a huge party with lots of food, as much as they wanted. This is crazy. This is a crazy moment in the text. And uh, so we get to then again look through the lenses of what people were asking, right? They were asking, who is this guy? How is he revealing himself? Well, he could be a new Moses when you think about it. If you look at the story of Moses in the Old Testament, he was leading the people of Israel to freedom through the desert and and the waters parted and they eventually get to a dry land and they're in the wilderness and they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're grumbling. And what happens? Moses calls to God. God sends down food from heaven. It was bread from heaven called manna. So literally like... God performed this miracle of food provision in the wilderness. Here again, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's he's sharing with these people all day long. It's in the evening. They're hungry, and the disciples realize we need to feed them. What do we do? What does Jesus do? A miracle. And this food is multiplied, and it's enough for everybody to eat that day, just like manna was in the Old Testament. So you can see how they're going, well, man, this is kind of what happened with Moses. This could be the new Moses. You kind of understand where they're at. Now, we have no record of theatrics, but I think it would have been cool. If, if, you know, just depending on Jesus' personality, how fun would it have been to be the son of God in that moment. And, you know, have the fish and the, the loaves. And you, you go up and it's like, hey, Peter, are they still hungry? Yeah. Hey, what's in your ear? A loaf of bread, right? I mean, can you, I mean, it had to have, after a while, after a few baskets of food. I mean, there's thousands of people. He's breaking the bread and breaking the bread and breaking the bed. You'd, you'd think he would go like, look, a snake. Nope, loaf of bread. You know, he's getting kind of fun with them because he would do stuff like that I think but we don't read anything about it so I guess he didn't would have been awesome 
Take that to the party of five. Look, a fish is in your pocket. It would have been a lot of fun. That's why I'm not Jesus, because people would really not have known what to think. I thought he was Moses or Elijah, but I think now he's a magician. Yeah, not the son of God. That's just Thab, and he's weird. Jesus was sitting here feeding these people and as well. So he did this miracle of bread and provision, just like the manna in Moses' day. But also he had been talking about leading people to freedom from their sins and, and uh, their salvation, which again, people would immediately think, well, Moses led people to freedom through the wilderness. He led people to freedom. And they would tie that into, this could definitely be Moses, but Jesus was speaking of giving them freedom by way of the cross, by way of the resurrection. But can't you understand kind of how they were like going, this maybe this is one of the prophets like Moses. I would totally comprehend the questions they're asking. And here's what the reality is. Throughout Scripture, and that's why we are so blessed to be in the day we're in, because we can read all of the Scripture from end to end and see the foreshadowing of Jesus all throughout. It's not that Jesus was like Moses. It's that Moses was foreshadowing what Jesus was going to accomplish. So that when Jesus showed up, you knew he was the Messiah. That he was the chosen one, the Son of God. Again, he could be a new Elijah. So there's a moment. There's a moment of Jesus feeding this large crowd, right, where he's multiplying the fish. And there's a moment in 2 Kings that is similar. It's not in your notes or on the screen, but I'm going to read three passages for you. In 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44, it says, One day a man from Baal Shalazah. Man, I wish I lived in a place that was that cool name, right? You know, I'm from Buckley. No, I'm from Baal Shalashah. Anyway, brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain, 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. What is that? He was bringing his tithe, right? He was bringing the first portion of all that he had been provided by God. And Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. What? The servant exclaimed. Feed a hundred people with only this? But Elijah repeated, give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over. Just as the Lord had promised. Wow, that sounds just like the feeding of the 5,000, right? Leftovers and all. This is exactly like that. And, and so here's a, just a man being faithful with his tithe, with his 10%, with his first fruits, not realizing the power of what he was giving would not only provide the needs for the man of God in this instance, but plenty for everybody else as well and the leftovers. This is the power of faithful generosity being exemplified through a prophet. He didn't hold it back. He gave it as he was asked to and saw a great multiplication miracle occur. I think sometimes 
we can let the leftovers deter us from being generous. Oh man, I guess my generosity is not needed. Needed. There was there was leftovers. But what is happening in this instance is it was very it was very much so God proving His awesome power through the leftovers. Had the gentleman not surrendered, he would have missed being a part of a miracle. Giving to God is us being a part of something way bigger than is our own generosity act. So just like this story, just like Elijah, just like Elisha in this instance, we have Jesus and these 5,000 men plus all the women and children, and he's multiplying the food, and this food is being spread out to everyone with leftovers. The foreshadowing was right to Jesus again. God was saying, see, this is my son, and I'm revealing it through a meal. But Jesus does something that points to who he is even greater. He invites them to sit. He welcomes them prior to that. And says that he is going to feed everybody. Which is a sign that maybe we don't get, but we're going to dive into here in a second, of him actually being the Messiah, a fulfillment of Old Testament, Testament prophecy that was from about eight, 800 years before about the messianic banquet. Um, as you can read at the end of Luke 9, verse 18, the disciples figured it out. It said, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do people say I am? Still same conversation, right? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. How did he get to that, right? What does Jesus invite us to? How does he get that? Well, he invites us to the messianic banquet. Now, that sounds weird, right? You hear like messianic. It's a different word. We don't use it in our common language. And before you get confused and think you're going to have to put on robes and go through an interesting ritual at the end of today, let me explain. That just literally means the banquet of the Messiah. It's actually something that was introduced by Isaiah, the prophet. And he talked about this banquet. Listen to it in in Isaiah 25, 6. He says, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him. And he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. 
Must have been amazing to hear that. And just like they held on to that hope for 800 years until Jesus showed up on the scene. And then they held on to this hope because this is a picture of heaven. The grating, the welcome, you know, the, the song, come and go with me to my father's house, a big, big house, with lots and lots of rooms, and you picture this big table feast, and, and you're like, yeah, God's not dead. Anyway, surely alive, he's living on the inside. Roaring. Okay, moving on. Um, the picture here is that Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave on the cross, right? He rose from the dead and overcame. He swallowed up death forever is the language. This is what Jesus did for us. And he prepared a banquet for us through that action that now we, on the other side of eternity, if we put our faith in Jesus, get to participate in. So what we're witnessing here is this moment where Jesus is foreshadowing the provision all these thousands of people are going to experience in eternity. When you would invite someone to sit and welcome them, you're the host of the moment, of the banquet. So out there in the wilderness, as Jesus lifted these loaves and fish, he was inviting them to participate in a great foreshadow of heaven on earth. Kind of cool that they got to be a part of that. That would have been absolutely amazing to be served by the Savior of the world. An image of what they were going to experience in heaven themselves. A few years ago, I was at a conference downtown Seattle, hopping on the sounder and enjoying a, a church leadership conference. And a, a friend of mine saw that I'd checked in at this church downtown and said, hey, you downtown for a few days? I was like, well, I'm just, you know, coming in and out. And he's like, oh, you here during lunch? I was like, yeah. And I work right across the street. Let's go to lunch together. I was like, sweet, where? Hey, let's just hop up to the, the restaurant in the Columbia Tower. He's like, okay, sounds expensive, kind of, but whatever, you know. And so I kind of, I was like, sure. And then, uh, so the, the next day comes and lunch, we text each other. And uh, I head up to the top floor in Columbia. There's a restaurant up there. Like, even the bathroom of that restaurant, I don't know if you've been there, but even the bathroom has a view. I'm feeling awkward pulling out my camera in the bathroom, but I'm doing it anyway, taking pictures out the window. I'm that guy in the stall going, and, you know, turn the volume off. This sounds weird. They're hearing picture sounds in the bathroom, but anyway. Pastor in bathroom. No, so that's, I was there doing this, you know, and, and I go to the restaurant portion, and, and we walk in, and, and I... And, you know, we're handed the menu, and on the menu, you know, like I was expecting, there were no prices. It's just like items. You're going, you know, I'm one that may be motivated by the price of said items on a menu. I might choose a salad over a main course if it was justifiable. And, uh, and so then he said, you know, hey, don't worry about it. I got it. Uh, and what I would suggest is, and so since I wasn't paying, I definitely went, went with uh, what I suggested as item. I wasn't going to grab anything else. I didn't know if I was going to, like, select the wrong thing or the most expensive thing. So I just went, yeah, it sounds great. We ate. The tab was massive. And uh, the food was delicious. And I felt blessed, honestly. I felt really grateful and uh, humbled and spoiled in that moment. 
And at the same way, Isaiah is giving us a picture as he's explaining heaven, as he's explaining things about Jesus and the Son of God, he's saying, hey, here's a menu of, for life. God is giving us a menu in his son Jesus. No prices on it, because the price has been paid. This banquet is full of choice food that will fulfill you like nothing else you've ever eaten. And Jesus has picked up the tab for us in real life the best is on the table in fact listen to isaiah 55 he says is anyone thirsty come and drink even if you have no money come take your choice of wine or milk it's all free why spend your money on food that does not give you strength why pay for food that does you no good listen to me And you will eat what is good. You'll enjoy the finest foods. God has a thing for food. And the illustrative power of what's happening here with these 5,000 men and their women and children. They're experiencing not the finest of foods. This was pretty plain bread according to culture in the day that was brought to them it wasn't the the richest form of bread Uh, but he passed out and provided food as a glimpse of this fine dining banquet in heaven that we'll experience that he's paid the tab for through his life on the cross he's the great host he's the great caterer if you will it's a true glimpse of heaven so the question becomes Where do we go from here? So now we've kind of, the disciples even figured this out. Man, this is an image of the great banquet that Isaiah talked about a few generations ago. This is the Messiah. Like we don't have to guess anymore. We know. But where where do we go then because of this? Now knowing this. Well, we have to determine who Jesus is for us. Is he an impressive character, a historical figure? Is he like others we can look up to that did great justice for people? Is he another just historical person to consider? Is this a Mother Teresa, if you will? Is this a a Martin Luther King Jr. kind of figure that we just look up to and celebrate? Or is this truly the Messiah? Is Jesus, have we made the choice that, okay, Jesus is the Savior of the world who's been promised for generations. This is the Son of God that came to save the world through his death and resurrection. He gave up his body. He shed his blood for my sins that I can be set free. I can't do it on my own strength. I can't do it on my own. I have to surrender to Jesus. I mean, we have to, we have to determine this. Is Jesus a figure on a shelf or living in my heart? Then we have to discover, man, how am I going to help people experience Jesus? If I've arrived at this place where I say Jesus is the Savior of the world, well, then now on me is the responsibility to help others experience Jesus. That's my calling. That's what's been put on me. Jesus 
is how people experience this banquet now. Jesus is the entry, the creator, the host. And he's still welcoming people to sit and enjoy his presence. We don't have to be the host to host. Jesus is the host. What am I saying? Have you ever been at somebody's house? Been at a a gathering, a party, a group? You've been at somebody's house and someone shows up to the door and the host isn't near. But you're near. You can see the door. And so you walk. You're not just going to make them stand there until the host shows up. You're going to walk to the door and get the door, right? It's just natural. And you're like, hey, welcome. They're like, yeah, I'm here for whatever it is. And you're going, hey, well, you know, come on in. I'll show you where so-and-so is that lives here. And you kind of walk them to the host, don't you? Maybe you've been in a moment like that. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. We're not the host of the great banquet. We're not the promised savior of somebody's life. We're not the one that's going to bring transformation and impact into their world. We're the ones that introduced them to the great host. And so I look at that and I go, oh man, here's this opportunity we have to to say, hey, welcome to life. You want life to the full? Let me introduce you to the host. That's our role. We help people experience Jesus. So I don't know where you're at or what your next step is, but listen to this quote from the book, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. It says, The Christian community is the beginning and sign of God's coming world. And no more so than when we eat together. Our meals are a foretaste of the future messianic banquet. Our meals reveal the identity of Jesus. Our meals are a proclamation and demonstration of God's good news. Isn't that crazy cool? Our meals reveal the identity of Jesus. Our meals are a proclamation and demonstration of God's good news. I'm excited about what we are even talking about next week. Unpacking like what God is doing so much in our world through food. And his intent for a meal. And its potential impact for us. So I can't wait to kind of go a dive deeper now that we kind of have a grasp of the illustration in this meal. But I want to pause today right here before we jump into what's next and celebrate Jesus' love for us through communion. You know, every week we have an opportunity to respond and you can flip over your Connect card and check whatever box applies or let us know what prayer requests you have or maybe you're on your digital device and you exit back out and fill out the connect card we love to know what's happening but really today we have we're going to provide an opportunity as we do when we take communion to be able to give you a chance to remember jesus body that was broken for you and to remember his blood that was shed for your sins it's your cross and grave that he went to and he conquered it so that now we have an opportunity to put our faith in him which gives us then entry to that great banquet so today uh, you guys can bring those elements and set them up here we're going to have a bowl of bread 
we're going to have a cup with some grape juice in it. And if you've made a decision, and we'll pray before we receive communion today, but if you've made a decision to follow Jesus as Lord, if you've got to that place where you're like, I've determined who Jesus is, he's the Savior of the world, then we're challenged to remember him through communion, taking this bread, a symbol of his body that was broken for us, dipping it in the grape juice, which is a symbol of his blood that was shed for us, and eating it. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. But don't do it if you're not a follower of Jesus because you'd be drinking judgment on yourself and eating judgment on yourself, it says. So the challenge is for us to make a decision and follow him and then celebrate in his body and his blood that was shed for us. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can, in our day now, look at Scripture from beginning to end and see all the power in even the moments surrounding the feeding of the 5,000. In this visual demonstration of the messianic banquet that you lead us to, and in the tie-ins and the foreshadowing through Moses or Elijah or Elisha. I look and I see the impact that that this had probably in thousands in that day who got to participate in a foreshadowing of heaven. But even now, here we are, 2017 years later, and we get to celebrate with bread broken and juice. Today, your sacrifice and provision for us, your removal of the price on the menu, we get to participate free of charge by putting our faith in you, Jesus, as the Son of God, as the chosen Messiah of this world, the Savior of the world. We get to put our faith in Jesus as Savior. And we have the promise of heaven, this great banquet that welcomes us. And we put our hope in that. There's hope in this meal for us today. And we celebrate today your body broken for us, your blood shed for us in communion. And we make a decision to follow you the rest of our lives. Not just for us, but today, God, we accept the challenge to help people around us experience Jesus. And yeah, maybe that's going to be as simple as inviting them over for a meal. Reveal yourself to others through us. We say today, here we are, Use us, God, as we go out into our workplace, as students go into schools. Equip us and use us to be sharers of Jesus to the world around us. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can stand and as you feel free, make your way to receive communion. Just grab the bread, dip it in the juice, and take it right there. And then the worship team is going to be leading us in a song, and we'll close service out here in a few minutes when Jaden comes up.